Hi folks, a very quick announcement before we get started on the episode this week. And that is a huge thank you to Katie Unicorn Stewart. I don't know if your middle name really is Unicorn. If it is, that is an awesome name. So the fabulous Katie Unicorn Stewart gave us a recent review on Apple Podcasts about the recent Governance Summit summary. So five stars for Take On Board, she says. Loved the recent Governance Summit summary podcasts. Super useful. Katie, happy to help. Thank you so much. And thanks for taking the time to do a review. So a little prompt for others that might be listening. I love it when I get reviews and you might get read out on the pod as well. So get in there and work out how to do ratings and reviews and let me know what you think of the pod. All right, on with the show. Hello, wonderful person. Before we get into this week's episode, I just have two quick things that I would like to update you on. Firstly, I've been so wrapped up in the Take On Board third birthday, more about that in a moment, that I totally forgot to let you know, dear listener, about upcoming Take On Board events. So, first and foremost, if you're in Melbourne and if you're part of this community because you've been meaning to get yourself into the boardroom, but you're just not sure where to start, well, the Take On Board Kickstarter program is the answer. A small group of truly fabulous women and over three days, hopefully face-to-face, We'll come together and cover all you need to know to get your first board role and you'll come out with all that you need, a board resume, your board pitch and you'll have done a practice interview for the role. Come join us. It's on Saturday the 6th of August, Saturday the 20th of August and Saturday the 3rd of September in person in Brunswick, Melbourne. And because I forgot to let you know before early bird prices closed, if you're keen and you're the first person to email me, I'll give you a code so you can register for early bird prices. Details and my email are in the show notes. A couple of other quick Take On Board events that are coming up. Firstly, the Stewards of the Future Take On Board Book Club is on Tuesday the 26th of July. You heard Hella Bank Jorgensen in a recent episode, so this is an opportunity to explore her book and more about ESG in the boardroom. And the next Take On Board Breakfast features Gillian West who you also heard recently talking about reconciliation action plans. In this session, we'll do an introduction to cultural competency for board members. It's on Wednesday the 17th of August and super early bird tickets close on the 24th of July. Yes, that's this weekend if you're listening as the episodes come out. So book soon. Last but not least, as I mentioned earlier, the Take On Board birthday has been taking up a bit of my attention. So I just want to do a huge welcome to those of you who have recently subscribed I really hope you're enjoying it and I would love to see you at one of our events. And a huge thank you to the Take On Board community who answered the call of sharing this podcast. You're probably here because somebody shared it or maybe you shared it yourself. So I know you've all been working really hard at building the Take On Board community. So thank you so much. It's the best birthday present I could have and I thank you for it. Okay, enough from me. On with the show. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast. I'd like to start by acknowledging that I am recording on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and future. I also acknowledge and respect the continuation of cultural, spiritual and educational practice of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And I extend that respect to any First Nations people we might have here with us today. 
Being on a board can be an incredibly valuable, interesting and exciting experience. Yet it can also be lonely, challenging and, let's face it, pretty hard. So here at Take On Board, I'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you navigate your way onto a board, onto your next board and to build your governance wisdom. Now, on with the show. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Karen Tisdall about LinkedIn and what board directors know about LinkedIn. Many of you already know that I'm a fan of LinkedIn. You'll get to hear from somebody else (laughs) about why it's important. Karen, can I get you to introduce yourself to the Take On Board community? Hello, it's great to be with you today. Um, So I write a lot of a lot of profiles for board directors. They're some of my absolute favorite clients. I'm so thrilled to be with you today. So I've been writing LinkedIn profiles since 2009. Yeah, it's a long time, right? Really long time. I started using LinkedIn in 2005. I was an early adopter using LinkedIn to headhunt for people and went on maternity leave, was a bit bored, (laughs) had an argument with my husband about returning to work and thought I'll just start writing LinkedIn profiles from home and it has just grown and grown and grown. So I do also do quite a bit of LinkedIn training as well, but LinkedIn profile writing is my core thing. So I'm really thrilled to be giving lots of tips to your audience today. Fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing them and seeing what I pick up about my own profile, but I'm sure others will also get huge value from it. It's such a powerful tool. People on this podcast have heard me talk about it before, so it's great to talk to another, you know, I don't know, what's the word, LinkedIn evangelist? Evangelist, yeah, that's what we are. We're evangelists, <laughs> absolutely. In fact, that's even how we connected, isn't it? Yes. Because I reached out to you because I'd heard quite a few of my, a couple of my clients had, had been on your show and I'd reached out and said, oh, you know, I, I love this episode with so-and-so and, you know, can we connect? And you were like, mm, no, how about we how about we have a virtual coffee catch up and then maybe we might connect. <laughs> and I just love that approach of yours. Is it one you've always had? Uh, yes. Well, one that I can all, as long as I can remember, yes, because most of the people, again, people on the podcast probably have heard me talking about this, but I won't connect with people unless I've actually met them. You get all a little connect here and I just won't hit yes until I've met people. But what I do is I always respond like I did with you, Karen, and said, oh, thank you. Uh, Love to connect, but I only connect with people I know. So why don't we meet? And I send a link so we can have a virtual cuppa. And I've met some fabulous people in that way. I've also not heard back from stacks of people and I'm fine with that. If people just want to hit click and connect and don't want to respond with a real personal response of meeting people, I'm fine not to connect with them. As LinkedIn gets used more and more often, you get more and more requests to connect. So I think years ago, it wasn't so much of an issue. It was only people that knew you that would reach out, whereas now it's not the way it works. So, well, it is for me. (laughs) Um, I think that's a really good strategy. And I think it's really important that we are careful with who we connect with but Mm. also that we're open-minded as well so you know I secured one of my biggest early speaking gigs through an approach like yours where I actually you know years ago years and years ago and and it wasn't the whole truth because I would connect with people who I hadn't met and we would build a relationship online but I received an invitation to connect from somebody who was quite influential and and quite important. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have an 
an invitation to connect from you. However, I do really like to meet people. So it wasn't a, a mistruth, but I said, I do like to meet people who are in my network. When can we make a time to meet? Now, Calendly wasn't around then. So mm. you made it so easy. You were like, you know, I mean, if people can't invest half an hour, you know, or, or sort of 20 minutes for a catch up, you know, they can always do so next month or the months after. I mean, you made it so easy. You know, so I ended up catching up for coffee with somebody. And that turned up into a huge piece of work. So I think it's a great approach for people. But I do think the board directors can sometimes be a bit, don't you think sometimes a bit like, oh, I don't want to connect with anybody sometimes. And I think it's important to think about who do you need to know, especially if you're really early in your board career. You know, Mm -hmm. you might have a lot of people who you were connected to when you were CEO, but there's a big difference from being an executive and being in a a tactical role to being a board director and having a lot of contacts who are also board directors and chairs and, Mm. you know, and and the right recruitment network and that sort of thing. So I think you need to be selective but open-minded and try as much as possible to nurture those copies, whether they're virtual or otherwise. So I love how you did that. Well, it means that we get to have conversations like this as well. And look, we're already into Talking LinkedIn and I haven't even got to ask you my background question. So I'm going to do that. (laughs) My excitement's running away with myself. I've got so much to give. Okay, your background question. And likewise, mine, it's like, oh, LinkedIn. Anyway, no. So before, which is not really before we delve into LinkedIn, because we already have, but before we continue the conversation, Karen, I always love to just know a little bit more about the person that I'm speaking to, or to be able to share that with the Take On Board community. So can you tell me a story about young Karen that tells us a little bit about how you got to where you are today? I think an interesting story, what's interesting to me, I don't suppose it's interesting to many others really, but I think it's quite interesting and quite ironic that as a really small child, I was quite a bookworm and I always dreamed of writing other people's autobiographies. So you would think of that as a ghostwriter, but I I didn't know the expression ghostwriter then and I just... I love reading autobiographies, but not biographies because it's that third person perspective that I just found a bit distancing. I really wanted to to step into somebody's life and live and breathe their challenges. And I'm still a sucker for an autobiography. And I just dreamed of writing them, you know, and I just think it's so ironic that now I write LinkedIn profiles for a living. There you go. (laughs) That was my childhood dream. And I have to say, here I am, age 50, pinching myself going, wow, isn't it funny how life turns out? Oh, so writing people's stories. Yeah. Writing people's stories. And discovering their stories. Well, that is yeah. And and discovering the themes in the stories, you know, mm. I think what makes a great autobiography work is is having that story arc, but it's also having a theme. And I think to turn my own sort of childhood dream into a takeaway for your listeners, I think a lot of people think, you know, I've had an executive career and then maybe I've gone into consulting or coaching for a period and now I'm sitting on board roles and I'm, I'm or moving towards that and I'm still sort of shedding that consulting skin, if you like. And I've had all these different experiences. How do I shape that into a LinkedIn about section that's cohesive? And what I love about what I do is not just the writing people's stories, but it's actually doing the the puzzle of what are the common themes here? You know, and sometimes people are like, there aren't any common themes. I've done this and done that. And 
you know, but there's always common themes, you know, and yes. I, I just love searching for those. I agree. It, it's I had a conversation with a group of friends last night about career paths. One of my friend's 17-year-old daughter was there and we were collectively describing some of our careers for her and one described them as there's the squiggly line or the straight line and people were describing which they were. But I think even on a squiggly line career, which is definitely my career, there are themes in there that you can identify particularly when you look back on them. You might not set them from the start, but you can see them looking back. And I think he talked about it a little bit or you talked around it in that episode with Cheryl Heyman about mm. non-traditional skills. You know, I think we're seeing the decade plus that I've been writing LinkedIn profiles, we're seeing a real shift towards those non-traditional skills. So often people are coming from a background of change and communications and marketing and these roles are increasingly having a, a seat at that strategic table mm. because you know yes we, we do want you to understand governance and you know that's just absolutely imperative to have in your LinkedIn profile because you don't just want to have one person on the board I'm sure who's in charge of of governance right you want to have somebody else who can check it but I really uh, I love that episode that you did because I think it really talks to this idea of making sure that you are looking at all of your skills as a whole mm -hmm. and thinking always about how do they tie back to people and profit mm. and I think ever since ever since the GFC you know I think there is an increasing our people can be our risk not just our bottom line mm. so how mm -hmm. are we looking after our people how are we communicating internally and externally how mm. strong is our nom and rem committees you know and and so many times I see board directors leave that off their LinkedIn profile and I'm like mm. you know if you don't have those words in your profile you're not going to get found in a search so it's really important I think to look for those patterns in your experience yes. and don't feel that you need to be a carbon copy of everybody else in fact I would think that not being a carbon copy you know, you need to stand out because of your own unique value proposition for the boardroom. And if you're the carbon copy of the next person, then the next person could equally be in the role. Whereas if you've got exactly what is needed and can communicate that. Yeah. If you're a carbon copy of everybody else, um, oh. to quote a LinkedIn profile writer, Kevin D. Turner, you know, you're not branding, you're blanding. Oh. <laughs> you <know>? oh. <laughs> Nobody wants to be blanding, right? Nobody oh. wants that. Well, then for the Take On Board community, for people out there who are, they're either seeking their first board role or they might be already developing their own board portfolio, what are some of the key things? I mean, I'm hearing some of those lessons in there already. You definitely don't want to be blanding. You want to, you know, have your own personal brand in there. But what are some of the key things that board directors should be thinking about in pulling together both their LinkedIn profile and also how they use LinkedIn? I think there are so many different parts to LinkedIn. But mm. I think it's really important just, just to go on about another episode of yours I loved. Um, I really liked Anneli. Is it Anneli? Anneli Blundell? Yes. The yes. Understand and Influence and episode. And in it, um, she spoke about the importance of understanding your audience. Yes. That is where I start, you know. So it's really important to have a look at your background mm. and think about the common themes and everything you've done. And 
sort of put them in a circle, if you like. I'm thinking Venn diagram here. Um, Mm -hmm. So for all your listeners, I'm kind of drawing circles in the air and have that sort of in one circle. And then think of the other circle as, you know, what's out there in the market? You know, what are people looking for now? What are they going to be looking for in the future? Thinking about that people and profit. And where are the overlaps? You know, so where are the pain points? And to have a profile that stands out and that differentiates, it's really important that you do talk about what your passion and purpose are, but Mm. also about what your drivers have been. And, you know, you can't share all the nitty gritty details of the organization from X million to X million or whatever. You can't share all of that on LinkedIn profile. I don't think that's appropriate. I think that's Mm. best for a resume. And if you do get to in the nitty gritty, then it looks more like a CEO profile. You know, you look too tactical. You do need to talk about being strategic. But thinking about that overlap, you know, what are people asking you and what do you enjoy doing? If you've spent your whole time in a certain sector and you've had a few experiences in another sector and you think, oh, but that's actually where I'd be really good, then you want to talk about what it is you want, not just what you have done. And thinking as well about that tactical and strategic, you know, it can be really hard And you've got to work with somebody, not necessarily somebody who's writing your profile, but you've got to work with a girlfriend who's going to be really strong and really robust, who can cast a second eye over your LinkedIn profile and say, you're still talking like an executive, you know, you're still talking like a consultant or, you know, somebody who's coming in and is in the delivery and in the doing. Make sure you've got that right lens. You know what I mean? You know, you're nodding so emphatically there. So you see that same thing, don't you, with with profiles? Yeah, I I think two parts to it. I think your profile should be partly aspirational, like where you want to go rather than where you actually are. So if you're in an executive role or if you're in your first board role or whatever it may be, but you are absolutely seeking to build that, then your profile needs to reflect where you're going, not where you are. It's not misrepresenting where you are, but you need the framing of it, I guess, to be around where you want to go. And the right keywords. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And particularly like if you, you know, the operational versus strategic or operational versus governance is a key one in terms of language. So you need to reflect that in the language there. Although I'm thinking about it, I'm interested. Lots of people do both of those things at once. You know, they'll be the CEO of this organisation or on the executive team of this organisation and on board roles and seeking to build their uh, governance portfolio or and perhaps also building consulting. So what's your advice there where there is in fact, you know, know your audience, as you said, what about when there's different audiences? How do you balance all of that up? Absolutely. You've got to have a priority. They Mm. cannot, they just cannot be even. You cannot say, I'm really writing for my next CEO role Mm. and I'm writing for my board career. So you've got to pick one a little bit more over than the other. Now, um, I have had a a run-in with a a LinkedIn trainer who I've got huge respect for, actually, and he's really great. But he said, oh, you can't have more than one objective. I think you can, but it does have to take a second Mm. and maybe even a third priority. If you have created a company page for your consulting role, which it's free to do under the work tab, scroll to the bottom, create a company page. If your consulting role is taking up too much space and, you know, it's all about getting clients, that could come at the cost. You've really got to pick one over the other and make sure that the language and the themes in that, and by the, the language, again, talking about, you know, are you delivery versus strategic, you know, 
talking, just, just switch it so that you're talking about advice. Use words like guiding. I use words like shaping. Don't be too in the doing with your mm. verbs, yeah. you know. You've, you've got to pick on priority, I'm afraid. If you are running a consulting role, and I do have quite a few clients who consulting is a part of what they do. It's a portfolio and the portfolio might be some board roles and consulting. Absolutely. And we've made the decision and I'd love to say that, you know, this is just sheer genius on my side. It's absolutely not. It's just been working with my clients and trial and error and seeing what works. When we've gone and created a company page because I thought that was the right thing to do and, you know, we're setting it all up properly. If we make that company page and we make their consulting piece look too big, it can mm-hmm. overshadow. So what we've done instead yeah. is we've typed in there self-employed. So mm-hmm. when you type in, you know, the name of your business, which, you know, ideally is your name. Yes. And then where it says, you know, you on LinkedIn, it's now asking you, is this part-time or full-time yes. or whatever? So you can actually go in and you can change all of that and you can type in the company name instead of putting your name, type in self-employed and it will automatically come up with a logo of two shaking hands. Um, Mm -hmm. And that looks really nice. So you've still got a logo there, but it's not linking, it's not overshadowing it. So I hope that doesn't sound too technical and makes sense to all those who are thinking, how do I juggle it all? That's my tip. I haven't done that. I I think I'm going to go back in and do that myself. I don't have my own page on LinkedIn. So I'm going to go in and find myself some shaking hands, I think. (laughs) Absolutely. And we'll make sure it does so that they can look, you know, listeners can go and check out your profile and sort of Mm. see what that looks like does it looks much better I mean LinkedIn is a platform it's a live platform so it can change at any time as in you can change your profile at any time so if your priority if we have a number of competing priorities and if for whatever reason you decide right now my priority is finding my next board role then you will write it to reflect that that's not to say that in six months time when you've landed that board role, you can't tweak it again in some ways. I mean, you don't want to be doing that every day, but you can do it anytime you like. It's a live platform. It is. And I also think when you say you don't want to be doing that every day, I think you actually can do it every day. Mm. And what I mean by that, just to push back a little bit on that, um, because I think sometimes as women, we often get in our own way, don't we? You know, we often want everything to be absolutely perfect before we upload it. And what I love about LinkedIn is you can do it incrementally mm. and you've always got to think, you know, what's what's the downside of me doing this, you know? And so if you say, I'll wait until it's perfect, well, you know what? Somebody mm. might be headhunting, looking yes. for somebody right now and you're missing out because you haven't yes. got anything up there. So even if it's not perfect, done is better than perfect. Done is, you know what I mean? So you can just incrementally add to it. Don't feel you've got to get it all perfect and can just sort of, you know, make some changes, wake up tomorrow, look at it and go, no, I don't like that. <laughs> you know, yeah. you can do that. It's not like it's a website. You know, I, yes. I ran my whole business without having a website until March 2021, you know, mm. and had this amazing work come my way. And whenever I want to go in and change my websites, you know, I break into hives. I get so anxious about it. But your LinkedIn profile so easy. So, yes. and nobody's checking, nobody's screenshotting it day on day and go, <gasps> She changed a word. Nobody's doing that. Exactly. The the only person that often takes that much notice is yourself or it's in the moment when people are looking for you and that you're right, they won't be comparing. 
So speaking of people looking for you, so there's getting your profile right, there's getting the language right, there's getting the themes right, there is aiming for where you want to go, all of those things. For people looking for you, what's your advice about the network side of LinkedIn? Because you mentioned this earlier about connecting with the right people for it. What's your advice there? So it's not, sadly, it's not enough to just have a great LinkedIn profile. I wish it was, you know. I mean, even even six years ago, I would write a profile and like two weeks later, people go, oh my God, I've just been headhunted for a role. And I would literally have boxes of champagne and chocolates turn up on my door. Now, now I get emails from clients a fortnight later going, do I really have to do all this work? Yeah. <laughs> you know. So what's changed is that how you appear when somebody searches for your skills, mm. it is important to have the right keywords through your profile. Even if you paid somebody a fortune to create a really great profile for you and then you did nothing on LinkedIn, mm. you would not be found in a search because LinkedIn's algorithm, its relevancy ranking algorithm, it's called relevancy ranking, a number of factors come into play. And one of those is how many connections you have. You have to have over 500 mm-hmm. in order to be visible. And some board directors still have a smaller number than that and are proud of having a small number than that. You have to be actively direct messaging people and they have to be responding to you. So uh, that's really interesting. So if you constantly use your email and you do not have a two-way conversation with people, two-way conversation can't be one way, Mm. seems to hugely impact your relevancy ranking. Clients of mine have also noticed that they are being approached more often for roles and they are, if they create any content, it's getting greater visibility. If they've previously created content and they've got a habit of liking and commenting on other people's mm-hmm. posts. Yeah. Now, for all of our listeners there who've just stopped there thinking, oh, this all sounds a bit daunting. It's a lot of work. You don't have to be doing all of those things, but just be aware that all those different activities will all increase your relevancy ranking. So unfortunately, LinkedIn's really jumping on board with Mm. trying to make itself addictive to its users. And it does incentivize people by rewarding those that play with it. So Mm. it's not enough. You've really got to get into the, you know, you see you've got the search bar at the top. Mm-hmm. top left hand side of your screen if you're on mobile it's in the middle you know you can put something in there like here in Australia we would put GAICD which would indicate that you're a graduate from the Australian Institute of Company Directors so GAICD click search and then scroll across to where it says all filters and you can narrow that by second so your first network, where you're going, you know, well, what is the one, two, three? Because LinkedIn do not explain what that is. So one, those are all the people you're connected to. Two, those are all the people who know people mm-hmm. that you're connected to. That's a sweet spot. Three, yeah. you don't have anybody in common. So search by second so that you can point to people you know in common. Mm. Search by maybe region or city you're in. Search yes. by industry. And find people and then proactively reach out and connect with them. But don't just connect for the sake of connecting. You really want to be nurturing relationships. So I'm a big fan of follow-up messages, you know. So I, I think 
once you've connected with somebody, I, I love to leave a follow-up message. And I, I actually do that in a voice note. I think it's much warmer than just leaving a written note that says, you know, thanks for accepting my invitation to connect. I think that's a relatively new thing on LinkedIn. It's not yesterday, but it's relatively new that you can do yeah, voice messages through their messaging bit of LinkedIn. When you leave a message, what do you say? Voice messages are so powerful. You've only got one minute to leave a voice note. Many of your listeners may be connected to you. So just, you know, search up Helja, you know, and you'll see if you're connected, you've got to be connected, which means you've got to have had a virtual connection um, copy with you, right? So (laughs) in order to be connected. So once you've done that and you've connected, click on message and the bottom right-hand side, you've got a little microphone button. If you click on that microphone button, it'll bring up a blue dot. When you depress that blue dot, it will start recording. Mm. And if you swipe it to the left or right, it will delete it. And so what I always advocate for is having a sandwich, a little bit like, what are your guess? Was it the one, was it Cheryl who said, tell anyone who'll listen what you're looking for? You know, you, you don't, I think she's. I think it was, yes, yes. If it wasn't Cheryl, it's probably a number of guests, to be honest, because it's a pretty common theme, but I think it was Cheryl. You've got to tell people what you want. So Mm. I'm a big fan of letting people know, like always be reminding people what you do, always. Mm -hmm. People Mm -hmm. have really short-term memories. And if you Mm. think you don't have a short-term memory, just... You know, look at some of your acquaintances, not your friends, but your acquaintances, maybe even actually some of your friends, and think, do I actually know what they do for a living? Like, do you really? Because it actually astounded me when I did this exercise once that I didn't even know what all my friends did for a living, Mm -hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. my acquaintance friends, people I'm friendly with. You know, so you've got to always be telling them. And so I like to leave a voice note, which is a sandwich, starting with a thank you and ending with a thank you, and in the middle telling people what you're looking for. Now, this might seem a bit strong to an initial message, but let, let, me, let me, can I leave you an example? I would love it, yes. Can, can I do that? All right. So for all the listeners in there, so when you click on that, that little microphone button and it gives you the blue dot, so you press that blue dot, you take a deep breath in, you speak on the out breath, very important for women. Out, and I know most of your listeners are women, although we've probably got some men here too. Speaking on the out breath drops your voice down. And as Australians, it means that your voice goes down at the end of the sentence, not mm-hmm. up, which means it doesn't sound like you're asking a question. <laughs> so that's really important. It also means that the first thing your listeners hear is not you going, <gasps> which sounds really (laughs) creepy and weird, right? Okay, so deep breath in, speaking on the out breath. Hi, Helja. Thank you so much for accepting my invitation. I'm really, really, really thrilled to be connected with you. Uh, You can see that like yourself, I, I sit on a couple of boards and, you know, I'm looking for a couple of new board roles actually. But I just wanted to reach out and and just say thank you so much for accepting my invite. You know, really looking forward to supporting your work here and, and thanks again. Stay warm. Take care. Bye. Lovely. Yeah, short, sweet, personable, warm, not creepy, which is always what you And it had an ask. Yeah. It had an ask. Nice. You nice. know what? Women don't ask enough. I don't <laughs> reckon we do, Helsha. I don't think women ask enough. Yes. You know, I was listening to this wonderful podcast guest and she's written a book too, a Zoe Chance. And Zoe Chance has just done all these studies showing that she's like a Harvard professor or something saying, you know, women just don't ask. And I think we've got to ask, but you've got to do it in a, an almost incidental way. And 
it's not that you're being manipulative and appearing incidental. You've got to genuinely be incidental. Yes. You've got to be like, yes. oh, I'm looking for a couple more board rolls and just constantly say it, constantly say it, constantly say it. And people will go, oh, you know, like they'll just remember. Exactly. Don't you think? Oh, definitely. Yeah, keep it light is not a put on lightness, an actual lightness. It's got to be yeah. heartfelt lightness, you know, and yes. I know I don't want to sort of get too religious or spiritual, but I, I love this this concept, this Buddhist concept of just holding it lightly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah so I, I think it. of it like that. Oh, Karen, so much wonderful tips here. Like we've talked about profiles and some tips there. We've talked about posting and content and including messages, which I love, and networks. What are the key things you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? I think people should have an about section. I know we haven't even spoken about the about and the, mm. the headline section, but I think people should have a headline section. That's the bit that sits underneath your name. Yeah. The default is that it's just a position title. You've got 220 characters there. Use them. Please yeah. use them. Like seriously, yeah. you know, don't just have non-executive director. Have non-executive director chair, you know, um, G-A-I-C-D, you know, name your, your passions, your areas. Maybe it's governance, maybe it's change, maybe it's culture. What is it? Make it something other than strategy. Um, maybe it's tech innovation. You know, what's your thing? So 220 characters, use them um, mm -hmm. in your headline. With your about section, a little part of me just goes, oh, whenever I, whenever I see I am a senior leader with 25 years experience in, you just look like everybody else. I, I really love an about section that starts with a quote or a truism or something that just makes your audience go, yes, you know, so, so think, you know, it's not going to make everybody go, yes, it's just the right people, mm. you know, so, you know, that might be something like, uh, I wrote for a client, navigating ambiguity is an imperative, full stop. And then we spoke about how through all of her career she'd navigated ambiguity and had a background as an engineer. And another one, we all want to see advancements, uh, I think it was in medicine or something, we all want to see advancements, but the journey from ideation to commercialization, mm -hmm. you know, so something that just starts a little bit more interesting than I am a senior leader. Yes. And contact details. Oh my gosh, be accessible. You know, I think we all have a fear of spam because we're just getting so much more of it now. So you can have it in your contact info section. The default now, thanks to the GDPR in, in the UK, the default is that only your first connections can see your mm -hmm. contact details. And so I quite like having contact details at the bottom of the about section yeah. and again, having an ask in there, you know, I'm currently open to another board role or two, you know, or something or the right board role. You can have something like have an ask, keep it light and yes. you can have contact details in there because it's not very easy to scrape the about section. I don't think that can be done. Yes. Sorry, that those were big two takeaways, but yes, those would be my big two takeaways. Work on your about section and have a headline. Yeah, great pieces of advice. And you're right. I don't think, you know, in terms of contact details, absolutely making them easy. And I don't, you're more likely to get spam in your LinkedIn inbox than you are your email inbox from having your contact details in LinkedIn. So uh, use them, I say. Yeah, great. And a little bit of irritation versus opportunities, you know. Absolutely. You just want to flatten the path to being reached. Yes. 
Yeah. How hard is it to delete spam? So, you know. Is there a resource you would like to share with the Take On Board community? I've got so many resources. So many resources that sometimes I worry, you know, I don't want to be overwhelming people with going, oh, I've got this and got that. So what I really love is for people to reach out to me on LinkedIn, come find yes. me on LinkedIn, Karen Tisdale, it's T-I-S-D-E-L-L, not Tisdale, Tisdale. We'll make sure we put a link in the show notes too so people can definitely find it. Yeah, reach yes. out to me on LinkedIn and I will find the right resources for you and I will send them to you. Fantastic. Well, like I say, yes, we'll definitely put a link to your LinkedIn in the show notes. People can check out your profile and connect with you. Oh, thank you so much for firstly reaching out to me on LinkedIn, for being open to a virtual cuppa so we could have an initial conversation. And third and finally, and I'm sure it won't be the final in terms of our interactions, but for being here and sharing some of your wisdom with the Take On Board community today. I have loved our conversation and I'm sure um, the Take On Board community will as well. My pleasure. Thank you so much. It's been great to be here. Thank you. So that's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. Thank you so much for being here and being part of the Take On Board community. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So I invite you to join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, an active group that helps, supports and cheer squads each other. Just search Take On Board in Facebook to find us. I'd really love it if you could also do some of the other podcast things. Share with someone you know who might get some value from our discussions. Subscribe if you haven't already. And, well, I also really love it when people rate and review. Thanks again for being part of the Take On Board community. Now go and put these tips, tricks and advice into action so you can be your best in the boardroom.